Before we get started, I would like to say this, that it's not me up here speaking because I have nothing to offer. But it's only if I let Christ speak through me. And so before I ever begin any sermon or lecture, I always like to go to the throne of grace and ask him to impart into me the spirit that I need. So would you bow with me for just a moment in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, once again we come before your throne of grace tonight. Because we realize, Lord, that without you we are absolutely nothing. We pray, Lord, that you will revive us tonight with the power of your word. And that the Holy Spirit will impart coals of fires upon our lips. That we may be filled with your wonderful word. Because we know when we are filled with your word, we are filled with Jesus. And so we plead with you tonight and bring our petitions before you. Praising your holy name and giving you thanks for all things. For it's in the name of Jesus we ask. Amen. Well, uh, some of the things you've heard tonight may seem a little bit hard. But let me tell you something, friends. The world is getting totally polluted. Do you believe that? The air is polluted. The food is polluted. The water we drink is polluted. But you see, God has a loving message that's going to bring his people to the very end. And that's why he has given us this message. It is to sustain us in a time of trouble. I mean, we are going to receive the benefits today because we're going to receive good health and happiness. And you can't be happy unless you have good health, can you? But see, he wants more than that out of us. He wants us in his kingdom. And the only way we're going to get into his kingdom is to survive the events that are coming upon this world. Do you believe that? I would like to you to turn to, with me to John 10, 10. John 10, 10. My wife was speaking about a war that is prevalent in the world today. But many people do not, do not realize that there's a war going on around their heads. And yet they are definitely, directly involved in that war. John 10.10 10 says this, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I am come that they may have life and that they may have, have it more abundantly. And friends, I want you to know today that Satan wants to kill, destroy, and to, to um, uh, take your hope from you. Do you believe that? You can see it on every corner with all the fast food places, can't you? You can see it when you hear all the news today about the mutated diseases that cannot be touched by, back, by antibiotics. Satan wants to destroy everyone he possibly can. 
But who is the war really against? Let's turn to Revelation 7, uh, 12, 17. Many of you have read these texts, I'm sure, time and time again. But I think it's very appropriate for us to review them every so often. Because sometimes we seem to have a problem with forgetting, don't we? Revelation 12, 17, and it says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant. And friends, now the remnant, believe it or not, in the last day is not going to be a big crowd. I wish I could say it's going to be millions and millions and millions. But friends, the remnant is a small group that are going to go through the very ends of time when the seven last plagues fall upon this world. I want to be a part of that. I pray that the Lord will allow me to be a part of that 144,000, but it's up to him. He makes the choices. But it says they, he will make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now we find some people today, they may have keep the commandments or try to keep the Sabbath, but they don't have a prophet, do they? And then we have some that claim to have a prophet, but they don't keep the Sabbath. There is a unique people, friends, that are going to be keeping both. Do you believe that? But yet today we find people trying to make none effect. Not only the Sabbath, but the spirit of prophecy. We find people today is trying to make none effect. The sanctuary message. A message that is close and dear to our heart. Now, the remnant, when you have a piece of silk and you put it on a roll and you roll it off, what is that last piece of silk called? It's called the remnant, isn't it? But you see, it's the same as the first because it was the first to go on, wasn't it? And so therefore, friends, we must have a primitive godliness like they were at first, like the apostles. And did Satan make war against the disciples of that time? Yes. You bet. They were all martyred but John, weren't they? And friends, the war is going to be more intense as we get closer to the end. And God has a message and a plan for us, a battle plan, if you please, that's going to take us through if we follow it step by step. Now, a lot of people might say that, well, you're fanatic. But friends, was Jesus fanatic? Was the disciples fanatic? No, they weren't fanatic. They loved the message. You see, we must not only follow it to, in order to survive, but we must follow it because we love it. We can follow the letter of the law, but friends, if we don't have it hidden in here, written on our hearts and our minds, it isn't going to make a bit of difference. We must love God's law. We must love it and keep it because we love him. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments, didn't he? I don't know how many of you gentlemen have ever been, or women, I'm sure there's been a few of you women that I know of, 
that have been in the armed services. And usually when you go into the armed services in your, your basic training, what they do is they train you how to survive. Because they know when you get on the battlefield, it's going to depend upon the training that you've got that's going to bring you through. Because situations happen that you never even think of or realize until you get on the battlefront itself. And friends, I want to tell you, the remnant is going to be on the battlefront in the front line of fire. You are today. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. When you have this special basic training, it's to teach you how to protect yourself, it's how to, how to uh, survive in this battle. It's to teach you how to help your helpmate, your buddy, that you're fighting alongside of, to help protect them. And friend, God is no different. He has a battle plan for us, a battle plan for survival. A plan that's going to take us through to the very end of time. And friends, we not only will carry us through, but we can claim victory when that time comes. If we're good and faithful servants. Do you believe that? I certainly do. On that battlefield, there's landmines, there's snipers all kinds of things that all of a sudden come up in a fleeting moment. The men that are confronted with those things have been trained to know how to handle them. You don't get your training, friends, when the climax comes to head, do you? The training comes long before. And today is preparation time. It's training time, friends. Because you see, Jesus wants us in his kingdom. And he knows there's only one way that we can be there. Is follow the plan of survival. Who shall escape? Who shall stand in that final hour? Those that keep the commandments of God. And have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Here are the patience of the saints that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Friends, we must have the same faith that Jesus had. I always recall the story of William Miller at the very beginning. What a great reformation that was and what a great revival before the 1800, 1844. In 1844, it came to a head. And that revival covered the world. You know, uh, William Miller, he wasn't really a Bible student in his younger age, but he had a yearning to know. And the unction of the Holy Spirit kept prompting him and prompting him and prompting him. You see, friends, we can't do anything. We can't even repent without the unction of the Holy Spirit, can we? We can't, we can't even teach, we can't do one thing without the unction and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We need to understand that. And we can't even obey, friends, without the power of the Holy Spirit. Our life is totally in Jesus Christ's hands. What we need to do and what we need to learn is how to submit to him hour by hour, moment by moment. Submit to him. But William Miller was not much of a Bible student. But he started reading the scriptures. And as he read the scriptures, he says, this is a wonderful book. You see, before, he didn't even believe that it was inspired. But when he started reading that book, he says, these principles have got to be inspired by God. And he would go back and tell his friends at his church, and they'd make fun of him and throw questions at him that he couldn't even answer. He decided that he was going to understand the Bible thoroughly. And for two years, he took the Bible and he studied it, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, sentence by sentence, and he didn't go any further than he could understand. And he stuck with it until he understood it. And then when he was done with that, he did a special study in Daniel and Revelation. And then when he went back and shared some of these things with, these, the, with the ministers and with the lay people, they could not gainsay against him. He had the answers. Friends, when we're confronted today, if we're taken up before council, before the laws, before the kings, will you be able to give an answer? Will you be able to share the truth? Will you be able to share the faith, your hope? Or will we be speechless? Friends, there's two things that are going to carry us through. Jesus Christ, number one. And if we do not put the word in, friends, we, can't, we will not have Jesus Christ in us, will we? For the word was made flesh. That's what's going to carry us through, friends. That's what's going to boost up our faith, boost up our hope. Give us confidence to speak boldly before people. We can't do it without him. But as he was studying the scriptures, he found <clears throat> that a great dilemma was about to come upon the earth. He had a burden on his heart to go and share it with everybody. And that burden stayed right in his heart for about nine years until finally some people asked him to come and speak at their church. And he shared this burden about the 2300-day prophecy and about Christ's second coming. And the people studied it and they said, yes, it makes sense. And pretty soon, people were asking him to come all over the country to give this message. And pretty soon, it started spreading out to other countries. 
the, the people believed in this message. They believed that Jesus was coming soon. It was time to get ready to meet their Savior. Well, time came and went. Oh, how William Miller was mocked and ridiculed. And many of the people that went back to their old churches, went back to their old lifestyles, and continued on the way they had been before. But there was a small little group, a small little group, that held on to that faith. They said, we had to miscalculate somewhere. This has to be true. I mean, it's Bible prophecy. It tells us there. God's word is not void. And as they knelt and prayed together, cried together, as they searched the scriptures together, finally they realized what had happened. They calculated that the earth would be the sanctuary and that it was going to be cleansed in 1844 at the end of the 2300-day prophecy. You see, there's three things that happened in that, in, that, um, uh, in 1844. Three things. Number one, it was the end of the 2300-day period. Number two, Jesus was leaving the holy place and going into the most holy. And whether they knew it or not, the number three is the loud cry of the three angels' message had begun. Now there was a couple of things that they didn't have quite at that time. It was not revealed to them in their studies. Number one was the Sabbath. They were Advent people, but they weren't keeping the Sabbath yet. Number two was health reform. How is, does health reform identify with the three angels' message? I'd like for you to turn with me, if you would, to Revelation 14. Revelation 14, verse 6 and 7. <clears throat> Verse 6 and 7. I'd like for you to follow along with me if you would. And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them unto that dwelled upon the earth, and to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. Is come. And worship him that made the heavens and the earth and the seas and the fountains of water. Now first of all, friends, we must realize this. The spirit of prophecy tells us that Health reform is a very part of the gospel message. 
If you want a successful evangelistic meetings, friends, you have to have the health reform message to go along with it. It's not only the entering wedge to people's hearts around the world when you take care of them and minister to them, but it's also an entering wedge to us, friend. It is to open our hearts to the gospel message as well. And when we apply health reform to our life, it opens our mind. It's a whole new world. I can say that from experience. When we apply God's health reform message to our life, supernatural results occurs. It is not only that our mind opens up, but friends, it's not only that health reform is a part of the gospel. It's a very part of the seal of God. We're told that in evangelism. A very part of the seal of God. And the seal of God is settling into the truth. Do you want the seal of God put on your forehead today? I sure do. I want the Lord to seal me in my mind, in my heart. Oh, I wonder sometimes what a wretched man that I've been. And to see how he's led me step by step into the truth. I wish I could stand here and say I was an Adventist or a Christian all my life. Oh, I'm sorry that I can't say that. But I praise his holy name tonight on how he's led me step by step. Amen. And friends, I believe he's going to lead each and every one of us step by step into his kingdom in heaven. How about you? But we must not have deaf ears. We must not have our eyes closed. He has the battle plan for us. And all we have to do is obey it. Now to fear God, we see here in Revelation 14, is not only to obey, but it is to depart from evil and to give reverence to him, the God of heaven. When we do that, we will be able to glorify him without much problem. Now, glorifying God is reflecting his character. In fact, I want to turn to that. Let's turn to Exodus, if you would, please. Exodus 33, 18, to begin with. And then uh, Exodus 34, 5, and 6. Exodus 33:18, and this was Moses when he was on the mount speaking to God. Exodus 33:18. This is what he said. And I said, I beseech thee, show me your glory. Moses wanted to see his glory. And this is his response in uh, verse 30. Uh, Chapter 34, verse 5 and 6. And the Lord descended in the clouds and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. Now, friends, I want to ask you tonight. 
In fact, I want you to ask yourself. I don't want to ask you. I want, the, I want you to ask yourself, am I merciful? Do I extend mercy to those that mistreat me? To my enemies? To my wife or husband when they don't do exactly the way I think they should? Am I merciful to my children? Am I merciful to my friends? We need to ask ourselves this question, friends, because if we can't answer yes, we do not have the character of God yet. Am I gracious? Do I display moral excellence? Does my, the countenance on my face, is it one of godliness? Or do I wear a frown and do I murmur and do I do all the things that keep me from being gracious? Oh, dear friends, we are ambassadors of heaven. Do you agree? Then we must reflect that heavenly graciousness. Are we long-suffering? Are we patient with our children? Are we patient with our friends, our wife, our husband? Or do we have the patience of Jesus? Friends, if we don't, we do not have the character of Christ. Patience is one of the hardest things, isn't it? I recall a lady one time, she told me, she says, you know, I have a terrible time with this man that where I work. And she says, I've just been praying for patience every day. Lord, please give me patience to stand this man. He is so rude and crude. And she says, I realized all of a sudden, when I pray, the Lord will answer my prayers until I overcome my impatience. Friends, be cautious what we pray because the Lord will answer that prayer. Are we, do we have an abundance of goodness? How do we treat our friends, our neighbors, and what have you? Do we wait until they come over and say, I need help, I need this, I need that? Would you, would you, or do we go to their house when we see they're doing something and say, hey, can I give you a hand? Should we work on goodness? We can't do it on our, our, our own, can we? But nothing is impossible for God. Friends, he can recreate you into a new creature with a new heart, with new goals, new thoughts, new ideas. I believe that as sure as I'm standing here. Why? Because I know what my thoughts and my goals and my habits were before I became a Christian, before I became a Seventh-day Adventist. 
one of selfishness, one of greed. Friends, when we have the character of Christ, we always put God, thee, and me in that perspective. Don't we? Do we have an abundance in truth? Do we have an abundance in truth? Well, we have the truth. All we need to do is put it in. But friends, it isn't going to do anything for us if we just put it in. We have to act on faith and put it into action. You see, these lights around here would not turn on unless you hit the switch. But you touched the switch by faith, didn't you? You stepped out and said, I know those lights are going to turn on because when you press the button, the light's going to turn on. And it's the same way, friends. We have to step out in faith in whatever we attend. Whatever challenge that comes before us, we have to step out in faith and, faith and meet it head on. Well, we have much truth. The worship. I want to just touch on that a little bit. You see, if we do not have the fear of God in us, if we do not have, are at a point where we're giving God the glory by developing that type of character, we cannot worship God in its proper perspective. Because we haven't quite gotten self out of the way yet and replaced it, placed Jesus upon the thrones of our heart. When we put Jesus on the throne of our heart, self disappears. Do you agree to that? But there's a battle and there's a struggle continually going on. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Judgment. The judgment is come. And William Miller felt that the judgments were about to fall upon the world and that the world was the sanctuary and that it would be destroyed at the coming of Christ. But when they found that that didn't happen, they went back, like I mentioned, and they started studying and they found that it wasn't the earth that was going to be cleansed. It was the heavenly sanctuary that was going to be cleansed. Now, let's just look for a moment in that sanctuary. When the high priest goes into the most holy place, he's in there to intercede for God's people. He's also in there during that period of time as investigative judgment. He's also in there at that time to cleanse the heavenly sanctuary. And when he steps out, 
He takes two goats, doesn't he? The blood of one and puts the blood on the other one. They kill the God's goat and they put the blood on the, on the scapegoat. And a strong man, it says, takes the goat into the wilderness to be killed by beast or natural causes. But what is God's people doing during this yearly ritual? God's people, there's three facets. First of all, they put sackcloth on, don't they? And then they are fasting. They have a 24-hour fast. And then they are afflicting their souls to see if there's any sin in their life. Now, you see, this was a requirement by God. And if they did not follow those requirements, they were put outside the camp and cut off. What does that have to do with us in these last days? Let's take a look at it. Who is our high priest? Jesus, Jesus isn't he? Where is he today? In the most holy place in heaven. What is our requirements, friends? Put on sackcloth. That symbolizes dress. We're not to be first in fashion, but we are to be presentable. Because remember, we are ambassadors of heaven in presenting ourselves toward the world. We're not supposed to have the adornment because it drew attention during that period of time. They eliminated all of that. The spirit of prophecy says a true fast is abstinence of harmful foods and moderation of good. Abstinence of the harmful things and moderation of the good. And friends, with all the processing type foods they have today and all the chemicals and all the preservatives and all the things they're putting in it, it makes it difficult, doesn't it, to keep the body clean and functioning properly. We're going to talk about that tomorrow afternoon. Are we afflicting our souls, searching ourselves out for sin? Friends, I want to say this. There's no sin that will enter heaven the second time. It's all going to be done right here. And when people say that you can go keep on sinning until Jesus comes, friends, they are giving you a wrong message. And possibly we'll be talking about that Sunday afternoon. We will not, friends, be able to do such. Now, back during 1844, when they realized the mistake they had, they went out and called many to come out of the other churches. 
Because you see, Babylon had fallen. It had fallen from grace and fallen into the hands of Satan. And they were calling people to come out of those churches. Because you see, many of those people today are still in the holy place. When, where God's people have followed him into the most holy place. And you see, if they're still in the holy place, they're going to be deceived and receive the wrong kind of spirit. Let's see if I can find it here. Early writings, I think, 51. Bear with me just a moment. I may have the wrong one. Is this early writings? Well, I don't seem to find it right now. I might have the wrong page. But Spirit of Prophecy, she says, would you see if it was on that page? Thank you. She says, yes. It's the chapter 2,300 days. 2,300 days? Yeah, that's the chapter. Oh, okay, 2,300 days. Yeah, I think that's right after that. Anyhow, she says that many will be pleading for the Lord to pour out his spirit upon them and to breathe his spirit upon them and says... Instead, they will receive the wrong spirit because Satan will be breathing upon them. Because they did not follow into the most holy place. Because they did not want to keep the requirements. And this is the message we need to give to people today, friends. That they need to follow Christ into the most holy place and fulfill all the requirements that he has given him. When Christ was crucified and hung on the cross and resurrected, this is where type met anti-type. Oh yes, here it is. Then the wicked saw what they had lost. No, see, this isn't it, is it? Oh, yes. It says, those who were bowed before the throne would offer up their prayers and look to Jesus. No, that isn't it. I'm sorry, I don't see it. But anyhow, you got the point. Maybe I'm, maybe I didn't, maybe, do you have the right page? So sorry. <clears throat> but friends, that's what we need to do today, is follow Christ into the most holy place. Now, <clears throat> what connection does appetite have with the image of God? Many of us might ask ourselves that question. 
But I think 1 Corinthians 10 to 31 says it very plainly. Let's just take a couple of texts and see if we can follow through here. What it has has to do with restoring the image of God. 1 Corinthians 10 31. Okay. I'm going to read this to you yet. Because I think, I think it's very important. <coughs> and then we'll get back to this, this text here. It says, Before the throne I saw the Advent people, the church and the world. I saw <coughs> two companies, one bowed bef uh, down before the throne, deeply interested, while the other stood uninterested and careless. Those who were bowed before the throne would offer up their prayers and look to Jesus. Then he would look to his father and appear to be pleading with him. A light would come, down, come from the father to the son and from the son to the praying company. Then I saw an exceedingly bright light come from the father to the son. And from the son it waved over the people before the throne. But few would receive this great light. Many came out from under it and immediately resisted it. Others were careless and did not cherish the light, and it moved off from them. Some cherished it and went and bowed down uh, with the little praying company. This company all received the light and rejoiced in it. And their countenance shone with its glory. I saw the Father rise from the throne and in the flaming chariots go into the Holy of Holies uh, within the veil and sit down. Now, uh, that isn't exactly what I wanted, but it's, it goes along with Oh, okay. Okay, we're going to get it yet. Then Jesus rose up from the throne, and the, <clears throat> and the most of those who were bowed down arose with him. I did not see one ray of light pass from Jesus to the careless multitudes after he arose, and they were left in perfect darkness. Those who arose when Jesus did kept their eyes fixed upon him as he left the throne and led them out a little way. And then he raised his ar right arm, and we heard his loving voice saying, Wait here, I'm going to my Father to receive the kingdom. Keep your garments spotless, and in a little while I will return from the wedding and receive you unto myself. Then a cloudy chariot with wheels like flaming fire surrounded by the angels came to where Jesus was. He stepped into the chariot and was born to the holiest where his Father sat. There I... I beheld Jesus, a great high priest, standing before the Father. On the hem of his garments was bells and pomegranates, bells and pomegranates. Those who arose up with Jesus would send up their faith to him in the holiest and pray, My Father, give us this thy spirit. Then Jesus would breathe, breathe upon them the Holy Ghost, and in that breath was light, power, much love, joy, and peace. I turned to look at the, little, the, the company that were still bowed before the throne. They did not know that Jesus had left it. Satan appeared to be 
by the throne, trying to carry on the work of God. I saw them look up, I saw them look up to the throne and pray, Father, give us thy spirit. Satan would then breathe upon them an unholy influence, and in it there was there was light and much power, but no sweet love, joy or peace. Satan's object was to keep them deceived and to draw back and deceive God's children. That's why, friends, we need to move into the most holy place with Christ today. If we haven't done it in the past, we need to do it today. Now, I don't want to keep you folks too late because... um, the time of the hour of the night. But I'm going to go on a little further. I want to talk about the glory of God. If you'll just bear with me for just a moment. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, Whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Now remember, the focal point here is not on whatever you do, but it's what? On whatever you eat or drink. You see, Satan's device into capturing the mind is through the senses. That's why we need to guard the avenue of the senses, because that's the only way he can get into the mind. By, he can get into our senses by what we see, by what we hear, smell, touch. And the greatest of all is what we taste. And you see, Eve was tempted on all, on all five of those points. Now, as my wife said, and I'd like for you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 for just a moment. Chapter 1, verse uh, 26. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now let's just move down to the first part of uh, chapter, verse 27. It says, So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created him, male and female created he them. Now if you're going to create something, like you take an automobile dealer that's going to create a nice car, you're going to have a real investment in that car, aren't you? Now, he's going to give you a manual on how to take care of that car, wouldn't he? Well, I think in just a couple of verses right here in chapter uh, 2, I think we can see part of that, that manual being carried forward. Chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted the garden east of Eden, and there he put man whom he had formed. Now, doesn't it sound logical that if a man was made out of the dust of the ground, he should have the elements and the food of the ground? rather than secondhand. It was never intended that, that man should eat food secondhand. And we're going to get into that more tomorrow afternoon. It was meant for man to eat food 
firsthand. And why? To continue and to sustain the image of God. Just like the manual of a car. They give you a manual of the car and know how to sustain and get the longest life possible out of that car. Because you've got a big investment. How important is our life today, friends? How important is our life? You know, health cannot be bought at any price. The only way that we can achieve good health is by healthy choices. And this is the choice we need to make. Now, I'm going to forego a couple of these texts that I wanted to share with you, but I do want to share some of these others. When we have the glory of God shining upon us, when we have reflect his character more perfectly, we're going to see that the fourth angel will join in with the three angels' message. Let's turn to Revelation 18 and uh, just read a couple of verses there. Revelation 18, 1 and 2 says this. And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power and the earth was lighted with his glory and he cried mightily with a strong voice. Now you see in uh, Revelation 14, it doesn't put the emphasis on the strong and mighty voice. Because you see, new light, I shouldn't say new light, but new light has been revealed from God's word. And in these last days, we have additional light friends that has been brought to us through the spirit of prophecy on health reform and the Sabbath. The thing, two things they didn't have when William Miller went out and began that loud cry of the three angels message in introducing people to Jesus Christ. But when we have fully reflected Christ's glory, we will go out with a mighty cry boldly before the world to give this message. Now, what will be the results of that? Let's turn to Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60. I would like to read Isaiah 60 in uh, conclusion here. Verses 1 to 5. And this is what it says. Arise, shine. For thy light is come, come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, now what's that word say, mean? Look. It says, for look, darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. And friends, do you see that today? Definitely. But the Lord shall rise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. Now, have you ever seen the sun when it reflects on the moon? I've seen it at nighttime sometimes so bright it was almost like daylight. Friends, that same glory is going to reflect off of you from Jesus Christ when we get the characteristics right in our life. And here's the wonderful promise to us. And the Gentiles shall come to that light, thy light. 
and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Friends, you're going to have dignitaries when you get it right. That light is going to shine so brightly that dignitaries and people in high places are going to come to you and start asking you questions. We're going to be able to give them the answers. It says, lift up thine eyes round about and see all that gather themselves together to come to thee. They want to come to you to get the truth, to find out the answers. And remember, it says, there may be companies going out, but multitudes, tribes will be coming in. Thy sons, now here is a wonderful promise, friends, for all of us that have children that are out of the ark of safety. Thy sons and, uh, shall come from far, come far, from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. What a wonderful promise when we have children that are not in the ark of safety. Then thou shalt see, then thou shalt see and flow together. Friends, does our hearts flow together? We need to be in unity, don't we? We need to be of one mind. We need to hold on to the present truths today as we've never held on to them before. And thine heart shall fear and be enlarged because of the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee and the force of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. Now what seas represent? Multitudes, people, nations, and tongues will be converted. Do you want to be a part of that great movement, friends? I sure do. But I want to say this. Before that can happen, there has to be a reformation in our own hearts. Now, we must have had a revival at one time because we're Christians today professing Jesus Christ, aren't we? But many are falling asleep. And maybe our minds need to be cleared up a little bit. So friends, if we follow the counsel and the requirements of God, we can have a clearer mind. We can have a better understanding. He promises that in, in his word. So first, before any of these things must happen, it must happen here first with us individually. We can't look and point at our brother. We need to look at Christ and allow him to make those changes in our life. It has to start in the heart, friends, before we have a revival. We need to make a reformation in our life. There needs to be reform. That's what I want. How about you? My prayer is that the Lord will lead each and every one of us into the most holy place to develop that character that he has. May God bless you as we all strive to that perfection.